Once again, it's good to close this Lord's Day together, and we have the opportunity, the privilege, and the responsibility to look to God's Word, and I trust that is your joy and delight. This morning in the uh, senior high Sunday school, we looked at Psalm 119, and um, that's a psalm that, that I am, am learning to love more and more. I've, I've loved it for a long time, but as I learn more about it, I see more of how God has revealed himself in it, and I trust that God's word and God's law is your delight, and you can echo the words of the psalmist there in Psalm 119.97, where he said, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my delight all the day. And so I trust that is your testimony this evening. Last week, we looked at the opening verses of Mark 14, kind of what we said, Act 3 of uh, Mark's gospel, when uh, we're getting into the events of Passion Week in earnest. Um, And in the first 11 verses, we saw kind of the, um, the contrast of those who hated Christ and wanted to kill him, and this extravagant love of this woman who who anointed him with this very expensive ointment. And while the onlookers condemned her for her reckless use of this expensive ointment, Jesus commended her actions, even though they were extravagant by man's standards. But he saw in that her love for the Lord, and it caused her to give her best, her all, for him. In the passage that's before us this evening, and I have uh, titled this The Last Supper, one of the, one of the challenging things about learning to preach is, is knowing how to break up a text. And I'll have to confess to you, kind of at the last minute, I've called an audible here, and we're going we're gonna to break this text up that um, is before you in the bulletin um, and probably end with verse 21. So we'll be looking at, I'll call this the Last Supper Part 1, since it's already printed in the bulletin. And uh, we'll pick up the, um, the, the actual Last Supper where Jesus gave the words of institution that we use and are familiar to us as we look at the Lord's Supper. And so my apologies um, that, that we sang those great hymns concerning the Lord's Supper, and, and we'll have to, to find some more or sing those again in a few weeks when we look at this next set of verses. But here in, in this text that we'll be looking at in verses 12 through 21, we see the Lord Jesus preparing the, the, to share um, the Passover with his disciples. Here he prepares to celebrate the Passover, this last supper with them. And while that is occurring, we see him once again speaking to the disciples about his betrayal. And so we'll look at that simply under those two parts, the preparation for the Passover and the betrayal prophesied. So um, let us pray and then we'll read our text. Lord God, we need you tonight. We thank you, O Holy Spirit, that you have inspired this word and that it is the very words of God that we can trust completely in it. We know that it is true in every part. Lord, every verse Lord, is inspired of you in every part, and we praise you for that, and we know that we can trust you, and we sit under the authority of your word tonight. Lord God, we, we thank you that you have spoken in and through your word, and Lord, we love you, and we love the way that you have revealed yourself in your word. So grant us grace as we consider the truth of your word and the warnings of your word tonight, we pray 
And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Just so we get the context of this, um, I want to start uh, where, with the verses that we ended with last time and pick up in verse 10, where it talks about Judas Iscariot. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and said to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve. One who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it, was, is, as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be, have been better for that man if he had not been born. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word. In a little over a week, we will celebrate which... A holiday that I would have to say is my favorite holiday, Thanksgiving. I say that for many reasons. For one, that there's, there's rich traditions with it, and it seems like it is far enough removed from Christmas that it doesn't quite have the stress that Christmas often has for many of us. I enjoy the time with family and with friends. Um, and there is the emphasis, of course, upon Thanksgiving. And we need that reminder. I need that reminder. We need to be reminded of God's mercy and care. And, of course, I like the food. And perhaps like no other uh, holiday, there is, are these rich traditions, and a lot of them associated with food, that, that come to us. And, and it's a little bit different for everyone. Um, you know, you might have cornbread stuffing and I might have stovetop, but we all have our memories. We all have what makes it special for us. The meal that, that we have before us that the disciples are preparing um, is also one of much tradition, but it is more than tradition. It was God's command, and it was commanded and, and done in such a way that that the people of God had these tangible reminders of God's work and God's mercy and God's mighty deeds in redeeming his people. So we see here under these two headings, the preparation for the Passover and the betrayal that was prophesied. First, the, the preparation for the Passover. The disciples are, are asking Jesus, how and where should they prepare this? Well, of course, there was the practical need for the preparation. 
The Passover, of course, was, like we said last week, it was one of, of three feasts that called the people of God together in Jerusalem to celebrate together within the city walls. It was, in a sense, the highest of the high feasts, and it required special and specific preparation. It had to be celebrated within the walls of Jerusalem. And you think about that, we talked last week about how many people it might have involved, how many actual participants in the city it involved. And, and it, was, it was in the tens of thousands, maybe, uh, over, you know, maybe between 100 and 200,000 people that were packed in these city walls because they had to celebrate it. They had to eat that lamb within the walls of Jerusalem. So how did they do that? Well, people would let out rooms in their home like we see um, provided for here in our text. Maybe it would be on the rooftop. In, in our text here, we see that, that it, it was an upper room. It was a room that, that whoever owned this house would provide and probably did this on an annual basis for those out-of-town guests that needed to celebrate the Passover there in the walls of Jerusalem. Of course, it involved the tradition, and not just the tradition, but the command of how the lamb was to be killed in a certain way at the temple. It was to be brought back to the house, prepared with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. So there were many sights and sounds, and, and if you could just picture within the city of Jerusalem, lambs everywhere. And people were, were bringing the lambs there to sell them for those that, that maybe traveled a long distance and didn't want to risk damaging the lamb because it had to be perfect. So there were many sights and sounds and smells associated with the Passover. And it required much preparation and planning. And we see also that Christ provided for his disciples. Verse 12 says that the disciples asked Jesus how and where they were going to celebrate this Passover. Now, it's interesting to note that the disciples, at least at this Passover, did not celebrate with their families, which was typical, which was traditional, which was what um, it was designed to be celebrated, how it was designed to be celebrated. But here the disciples were planning to celebrate with Jesus. Perhaps it was that they were beginning to understand, after many times of not understanding about Christ and his death that was soon to come, maybe they were beginning to get it. Maybe they were beginning to see that it, Christ's time was near and that he was going to die. He had said that plainly to them more than once, and so perhaps they thought, we need to celebrate this Passover with the Lord in verse 13, we see that Jesus gave two disciples, uh, Luke tells us it's Peter and John, he gave them very specific instructions. Go into the city, look for a man carrying a jar of water, follow him home, and ask the master of the house this question. The teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he said, this man will show you an upper room that's ready to go, that's furnished, there you can make your preparation. So they set out and they found it just as Jesus had said. Now it would be unusual in that day to see a man carrying a jar of water. That was typically a job reserved for ladies in that society. And so that man would stand out. It was something that was unusual. Jesus 
um, had, it, it doesn't tell us this specifically in the text, but it's very likely that Jesus planned this out, that he had made these arrangements beforehand. And so Jesus wanted this. It was something that Jesus had planned. He wanted this time with his disciples. He knew that his time together with them was short, that he wanted to celebrate this feast, that he was, it was time to institute the new covenant. And all of this took place according to the divine plan. Jesus had on numerous occasions prevented the, the chief priests and scribes from taking him before his time, but now it is time. Now it is very near the time for him to give his life. He's the Passover lamb, and he knows it. He's the sacrifice for sinners. He wants this time with his disciples because he knows the time is short. He needed a place where he could teach them one last time, where he could teach them that, yes, he was going away. He was going away to prepare a place for them, but he was sending his spirit. He was sending the counselor. He was sending the comforter to be with them. He needed this time to pray that high priestly prayer for them around the table. He needed the time to encourage them. And this was that place. And it all goes according to plan. Passover, as we said, was the high feast of all the feasts. And we talked some last week of the details of it. And it was, of course, only fitting that Christ would die at the time of the Passover. The Passover was a reminder of God's marvelous deliverance from Egypt. God delivered the children of Israel fully and finally from the yoke of Pharaoh. It was also a reminder of God's deliverance from the bondage of sin. So it was only fitting that Christ would die on the Passover to show that he is the one that brings that deliverance from sin. Passover, of course, was a reminder to the Jewish people that by the death of an innocent lamb, their forefathers were protected from the death angel that brought a curse upon God's enemies. And it was a reminder to all those present during Passion Week that Christ is that spotless lamb of God who bore the sins of all his people. Passover was a reminder that the blood that the lamb shed when sprinkled upon the doorpost was a sign which preserved them from the hand of that destroying angel. And Christ's blood shed upon Passover was for the remission of sin and for the cleansing of our consciences from guilt. Passover was a reminder that only as they fed upon the lamb, keeping the commands given to Moses, did they find nourishment for the for the road, for the exodus, for the road ahead. And it is only as we feed spiritually upon Christ that we can find spiritual strength and nourishment for our lives. The Passover required great preparation. It was well planned by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Peter said that, spoke of that in Acts 2.23, where he said... This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And he goes on speaking how God raised him up, but it was according to God's counsel and plan that all of this took place. Next, we see that Christ spoke of the betrayal that was at hand in front of him. 
We see the betrayal prophesied, and not in the far future, but right at the door. Just as they're eating, Jesus drops a bombshell. He says, one of you will betray me. And there's several things that I think we need to notice here. And as I was studying this, I, as, as sobering as this is, I thought this is where we need to end. This is where we need to think about and, and focus our attention for a few minutes. That as they were reclining at table, here Jesus was sharing with them his heart. And he says, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And I think Jesus, in saying this, was intentionally vague for at least a couple of reasons. One, I think he wanted the disciples to search their own hearts. And that's exactly what they did, because it said that one after the other, they began to ask, Lord, is it I? Is it, is it me? And, and they, they probably paused and looked around, looked at one another and thought, who, who among us? Who among the twelve, who among your closest group would betray you? They ask, Lord, is it I? And secondly, I think that Jesus was intentionally vague to allow Judas time to accomplish the awful deed that he had agreed to do that we read at the beginning of our reading. Jesus didn't tell them then and there who it was. But he said, one of you will betray me. The disciples did not seem to know who it was. I, I don't think this was feigned ignorance on their part. It's, it's easy for us to look at, at the Gospels. And, and even, even off in the Gospels, there's commentary that, that helps us see Judas a little better. But I think the disciples that walked with him day by day didn't see that. They didn't see that he was taking from the money bag. They didn't see his greed. They didn't see his compromise. And, and looking back and looking at it historically and looking at all the Gospels together, we see that. But I don't think the disciples did at that time. Judas was among the twelve. Judas walked with our Lord. He heard the teaching of the Lord. He saw the miracles, the water turned to wine, the, the sick that were raised, the dead that were brought to life. Judas was there with the other 11. The disciples seemed baffled. They didn't know that he was the betrayer. And one after the other, they asked, Lord, is it I? Robert Murray McShane says that the seed of every known sin lies within our hearts. And that's a sobering thought for us. And I think we need to reflect upon it. And they, the disciples, needed to reflect upon that as well. Who was it that sent Jesus to the cross? Well, Judas certainly betrayed him into the hands of sinful men who crucified him. I thought of the words, and, and, and one commentator I, I read pointed to the words of, of the song that we sometimes sing that goes like this. Who was the guilty who brought this upon thee? Alas, my treason, Jesus hath undone thee. T'was I, Lord Jesus, I it was denied thee. I crucified thee. It was your sins and mine that put Jesus upon the cross. And in this, there's a warning for all of us. 
and that is this, that there is a danger of false professions within the church. And this is, this is very sobering for us to consider, that there will be some on the day of judgment who called themselves Christians, and even who were recognized as Christians and received into the membership of the visible church, yet who on that day will hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you. Judas was not among the elect. Judas looked to everyone else like he was among the most faithful disciples of Jesus. And often people will, will stumble over Judas and think, how could this man who walked with Jesus reject Christ? How, how could he not be a believer? And yet, Jesus said about him in the final verse that we read, it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And we certainly see that, that Judas was a reprobate. Judas was not among the elect. Judas was not truly Christ's disciple, even though he walked among the disciples. I appreciated what Pastor Greco said this morning as he extended the gospel invitation to those who had a prof profession, yet knew that they were not right with God. Because... That is the reality of some today. Salvation is a profession. It is a profession of faith that you take Christ as your Lord and Savior. But it's also a possession of Christ and all his benefits. And it's also being possessed by Christ. Pastor Greco also mentioned the Heidelberg Catechism number one. And I, I love the, the, the question and answer. It says, who is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is, is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That I belong to Christ. It goes on, he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. As I thought of that, I looked forward to the second question, which is shorter, but it says, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things, it answers. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such a deliverance. I ask you, is that where you live? Do you live in those three things from the Heidelberg Catechism, question number two? That you know how great your sin and misery is? That you have been set free in the Lord Jesus Christ from that sin and misery? And that you live a life of thankfulness to God for such a deliverance. If you are living there, I think you can say with assurance that you are God's child. If you see the, this, this sobering text of Judas and the disciples, and we reflect upon this, the, the, the reality that there are those within even our own church that may profess Christ and may not truly know him, 
Yet if you live the life of humility and repentance, if you live a life recognizing the greatness of your sin and misery and that you have been set free in and through Christ and only in and through Christ, and you live a life of thankfulness for that, you can be assured that your name is written in the book of life. Those, however, were not the things that marked Judas. There's a sober reminder here for us because Jesus said in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. We, as I said, are called to live lives of humility and repentance. All of the Christian life, and, and I've said this even recently from this pulpit, that, that all of the Christian life should be marked with, with a life of repentance. That's what Luther said in the first of his 95 Thesis. Jesus Christ fully gave his life as a ransom. We are called to live our lives in such a way that, that we recognize the sin and misery from which we came. And we are to live with thankful humility and repentance that's born out of that knowledge. May God grant us grace to live in that place of humility and dependence upon Christ. Let us pray.